Good morning. Woo, don't you look good today? Balcony, you look great today. Give me one of these. Ah. Hey, take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to Esther chapter 4. Welcome to week number two of our series, Footprints. This is one of those series where it defines who we are as as a church and as individuals in Christ. See, the things that break the heart of God should break our hearts. The things that matter to God should matter to us. You see, God has set this imprint, if you will, in the sand. A footprint. and It's a plan for our lives. It's something we should follow. It's our purpose. And when we begin to follow that plan and that purpose in our lives, what happens is we leave a footprint in the sand for others to follow. And when they follow us, their lives intersect and connect with a God who loves them, with a God who has an insatiable appetite to prove His goodness, with a God who cares for them so much that He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, with a God who will give forgiveness and do-overs and second chances some help in here this morning that's what the footprint is all about and you're supposed to be leaving one everywhere you go in fact this past week I had this thought I had to send out a group text and if you know anything about texting a group text is when you text the group I don't know any other way to put it, but so I had my phone out and I'm putting all of these people into this group text and and really unknowingly I left someone out of the group and so I send this message out to the group and everyone gets the message, everyone knows what they're supposed to do, everyone knows where they're supposed to be with the exception of one individual. That dude didn't make it to the meeting. He didn't know about the meeting. He had no knowledge of it. He missed the message and it was my fault. Then I began to think about this concept. Are there people in the group called the world that are missing the message because it's my fault? Think about this with me for a moment. I'm going to use a whiteboard today. But culture is here. This is where culture is at. But God wants culture to be here. How does culture go from here to there? How, what fills in the gap? Or should I say, who fills in the gap? Who is it that takes culture from here to there where God wants them to be? Can I tell you this? It's us we fill in the gap maybe you've had this thought before maybe you haven't but have you ever thought that every stage of your life every difficulty in your life every phase of your life that God is grooming you and he is preparing you for where you are today I mean take your profession if you will God placed you in your profession 
And that was not his ultimate goal so that you would have your profession so that you could say, wow, I have arrived. Instead, God's ultimate goal with your profession was to use you to influence others in your profession. Hello? How about your finances? God didn't give you your finances so that you could say, whew, I made it. He gave you your finances so that you would use your finances in such a way that others would connect with Him. Or maybe today you're broken and you're, you're just like, well, hold on a second. Is this God's plan for my life? Well, guess what? God will use your brokenness to establish you so that others who are broken with similar situations in their lives will connect with you and your footprints will lead them to Jesus. That's really the, the thought of Esther. That's what's going on in the book of Esther. In fact, today I'm going to give you just this crash course of of the whole book of Esther. But most of the time I'm going to be in chapter 4. But there's some stuff that's going on in the life of Esther that I think that you need to to realize and grab. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet as I read a few verses with you this morning. Now, the verses that I read, unless you know the story of Esther... You're going to be lost. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense. Now, what I am going to do for you in a few moments is I'm going to come back and I'm going to fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you some definition. However, at the moment, I want you to hear what is going on. And I'll explain some of those things uh, along the way. I think you'll see that we can relate in so many ways this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says this. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done... He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. There's a need here. There's this huge need in Mordecai's life. In fact, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. That is an Old Testament principle that was used in public so that others would see that you're devastated, that you're grieving, that you're broken. But Mordecai was not the only one who was devastated and broken. In fact, it was all of the people, all of the Jewish people. Look at verse 2. It says, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Verse 3, in every province to which the edict order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Who's going to care for these people? There's a huge need. Who's going to care for these people? Who's going to help these people? Who's going to help the person who is homeless, who's looking for his next meal? Who is going to help the single mom who financially cannot make it? Who's going to help the drug addict who's looking for a breakthrough? Who's going to help the person who cannot seem to make his way because he's so emotionally distraught? Who's going to help the friend of yours who's going through a divorce and feels like he's all alone? You see, the problems that that culture has, our culture has. And there's weeping and there's wailing all around us. And do we see it? Who's going to help? Can I tell you something? It's the church's job to help. The greatest footprint of Christ is the footprint of the church. But here lies the problem. Churches all across America today 
are more focused on the victories of the past than the potential of today. They're more focused on the the victories of the past than the opportunities of the present. They're more focused on what was as opposed to what is. Therefore, 80 churches across America close their doors every single week. They cease to exist. Over 70% of all churches in America have either flatlined or they're declining. You know why? Because we're supposed to see the need and feel it. See the hurt and heal it. But instead, we're focused on what used to be as opposed to what God is placing in front of us right now as an opportunity. But if we are not the church, who will help these people? Where where will their hope come from? Where? Church, if we don't park this church outside of the gates of hell and say on our watch, you're not going. Where will the hope for the lost come from? You see, there are so many gaps in our lives today take your profession for instance the people that you work with are here but God wants them there who fills in the gap you do the people in your school are here but God wants them there who fills in the gap you do but the problem is We think it's the church's responsibility to fill in the gap. But can I ask you something this morning? Who is the church? We are. You see, we think people will follow our footprints to the church, but the problem is they don't recognize our footprints to the church because they don't see the church in us. Hello? High five. Thank you, Jesus. Look at verse 4. The plot clots in verse 4. When Esther, she's the queen, maids and enochs came and told her about Mordecai. She was in great distress, distress, distress. So she sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. In other words, she just wanted to cover up his grieving. Everything's going to be all right. But there's a crisis. There's a crisis in the culture. There's a crisis in our culture. Unemployment is on the rise. The divorce rate is on the rise. Homelessness is on the rise. Abortion is on the rise. There's a crisis. The only way to overcome a crisis is by a change of perspective. Hear me here for a minute. We cannot stick our heads in the sand and say... Culture has gone crazy. Culture may have gone crazy. But one of the reasons is because the church has not done its job. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. Crisis really is nothing more than an opportunity for God crisis in your life is just an opportunity for God to show up in your life and 
God uses crisis to bring about change for the future. In fact, I heard it said this way, that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Because God uses it to reshape the future when we rise up as the warriors of Christ that we're supposed to be and we begin to do what God has created us to do. So what's going to happen? Let's look on. Verse 5 says, Then Esther summoned Hattach and one of the king's enochs and assigned to attend her and ordered him to find what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hattach went out to Mordecai in the open square in the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of all the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. He told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. What is Esther going to do with her position? Think about this with me for a minute. What is Esther going to do with her position. You see, some of you think that the position that you have, that you have arrived at, has little to do with God and a lot to do with your abilities and talents. Can I tell you something? If that is your thought this morning, then you don't know who God is because the Bible says that God knows the plans that He has for you. The Bible says that He is the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says that He knows the end from the beginning. That tells me that that my position in life has less to do with me and more to do with what God wants to do through me. What will Esther do with her position in life? Will she use it to save a culture or will she use it to save herself? Maybe the bigger question this morning, and I want everyone to look at me right here, everyone. What will you do with your position? Will you use it to change a culture or just to save yourself? Father, today, I pray over your people. God, today's word is so challenging, I know. But Father, you know that I'm not preaching at people as much as I'm preaching at myself. So today, God, I just ask you to remove me and make people connect with you and the words that are on the pages of your book. For you are the author of today's word, not I. God, I just thank you in advance for it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, before you're seated, high five that person to your left and right and say, footprints, footprints. Here's what I want you to get today out of today's, out of today's talk is, is this. Your giftings, your past, your present, your position in life, your profession, your resources. God puts all of those things together 
to make your footprint. And I want you to see today how God uses those things to change the future. So I want to look at Esther's life because I think there's a ton of stuff that's going on in the life of Esther that will obviously help you do life in a better way. And I think you'll see, hey, you know what? Esther and I had a lot in common. So let me just walk you through Esther's life really quick, picking up with some of the things that are happening at the very first of Esther's book, if you will. Esther takes place around 480 B.C. in modern-day Iran. Then it was Persia. Now what's going on here is King Xerxes has taken the throne, and so now he has inherited all of these Jewish refugees from from Israel who have been on exile for around a hundred years and these Jewish refugees are, are, are really not mixing well with the Persians because the Persians are about sin and and the Jewish people are about God and so things aren't working out very well then in chapter one something crazy happens with King Xerxes he has this party at his house and he has all of his buddies over to the house and they begin to party and they begin to drink and pretty soon they're wasted and they're blitzed and they just really don't know what they're doing. And it's just crazy, crazy party. And so all of a sudden, King Xerxes has this harebrained idea. His wife, Queen Vashti, is a beautiful woman and so he says, I want you to go and bring Vashti here. Tell her that I want her to walk through these courts of this party wearing nothing but her crown. I want her to be here naked. Let me talk to this side over here. <laughs> so, I want you to think about this harebrained idea with me for a minute. Here he is, he wants all of these, these drunk dudes to lust after his wife. I mean, it just sounds like a crazy idea. So when they go to Queen Vashti and tell her what he wants you to do, she said, N-O. Good for her. But the problem is, you don't tell a king No especially in front of his drunk buddies. Things just don't work out well. So the next day, one of the king's consultants comes to King Xerxes and he says to the king, hey, listen, king, uh, about the party last night. Listen, your wife said no to you. You're going to have to correct her in a public way and in a harsh way because if our wives begin to do what she did, if they begin to tell us no, we're messed up. Hello, some of the men in here, you listening to me? We just can't have that. If, if, if she's going to question your authority in public, then our wives are going to question our authority. You've got to fix this thing. In fact, the consultant said this in verse 18 of chapter 1. You, you have to see this because it, it's just crazy. Today, the wives of the important men of Persia and media have heard about the queen's actions. So they will speak in the same way to their husbands. And there will be no end to the disrespect and anger. Can you believe such a thing? Hold on a second now. Just think about this with me. It's okay for King Xerxes to ask his wife to parade around naked wearing nothing but her crown. That's okay. But it's not okay that she said no. And because she disrespected you in public, you've got to do something harsh. So the harsh thing that the king Xerxes did was he banished his wife from the kingdom forever. Now here lies the problem. It left him queenless. So in walks, I think the dude's name is Chris Wilson. I think so. The guy that runs The Bachelor, is that the right name? <laughs> Y'all seen The Bachelor, you know what I'm talking about. 
The very first batch, some of you are shaking your head like, I ain't never seen that show. Don't be so holy. You know you're lying. <laughs> the very first bachelor took place. He went around the countryside and he began to scour for these beautiful virgins. And he put this contest together that would last for several months. And the point of the contest was whoever wins in the end will become the new queen. And what you had to do in this contest is basically you had to come before the king. He had to think that you were so beautiful that he would invite you later back to his chambers. And you had to spend the night with him. So basically, this was a sexual contest called The Bachelor. So here's what happens. Esther, she enters the contest. And, and the Bible says this about Esther. It says that Esther is hot. Loosen up with me here. I'm serious. The Bible says Esther's hot. The Bible says that Esther is beautiful in form. In the Hebrew, that means Esther is hot. So he thinks, oh man, she's beautiful. And so when, he, when she comes in, he's just like enamored. His jaw drops to the ground and, and, and she spends the night with him. And you know what happens there? And so Esther wins. Here's what's crazy. She is a Jewish refugee and now she has become the Persian queen. But there's a couple of things about Esther that maybe you haven't picked up on yet that I want to highlight. She made some immoral choices. First off, she entered a sexual contest. It was a sex contest. Now, listen, I know some of you right now are saying, I wish she'd quit saying that word. I mean, that word is taboo in the church today. I don't understand why that word is taboo in the church today because that's how we all got here. But that's just another topic for later on. So anyway, she wins, but she's made some immoral choices. She's entered this sexual contest. But, but probably more importantly, she did something else. She was a, a Jew. She could not be the queen of Persia. It just doesn't happen. So you know what she had to do? She had to lie about her Jewish nature, her, her Jewish status. Status. Which means she had to lie about her relationship with God. It means she had to act as if she was not a Christian. Now here's the deal. Some of us can relate to that because we go to work and we're not there going to advertise our faith. Isn't it all quiet up in the Lord's house? But then this dude named Haman comes into the scene and he just cannot stand the Jews. And so he puts together this sinister plot to kill all of the Jews. Then he takes that plot and disguises it and he puts it before King Xerxes. And King Xerxes is at Esther still. And so King Xerxes doesn't recognize what Haman is doing. And so he just says, yeah, do whatever you want. In walks Mordecai, who happens to be Queen Esther's uncle. And he begins to grieve. And so he comes to Esther and he says, Esther, you have to do something about this because they're going to annihilate us. They're going to kill us. You, you've got to help us do something. And this is what Esther says in chapter 4, verse 11 to Mordecai, her uncle. She says, all the kings and officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to the king. Oh. 
all of the king's people and the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king, you know what she's saying? She's saying, hold on a second, don't you remember Mordecai? He banished Vashti for just saying, no, I'm not going to walk in front of all those dudes naked. And you want me to go in and tell him that he's lost his mind? What do you think he's going to do to me? And so then, Mordecai says this to her in verses 13 and 14. And this is really the foundation of the book of Esther. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for what? For what? Really loud and on three. One, two, three. For such a time as this. You know what he's doing? He's pointing out her position. He's saying, you know what, Esther... God didn't make you queen just to make you queen. He made you queen so that you would use your position to influence others. Hello? But then he says something else. He begins to point out her lack of involvement. Look, it says, for if you remain what? For if you remain what? When I read that this week, I I had this thought, and this is a deep thought. For if you remain silent, if you are not involved, if you don't involve yourself in the need... What Mordecai is saying is this, we will be judged not only for the things that we did, but we're also going to be judged for the things that we didn't do that God asked us to do. That's deep. You see, God is all around us every day placing people in our lives in hopes that we will interject ourselves into their lives so that they will be changed. And if we don't, it's a sin Now, I don't want you to think for a moment that this verse is only applicable to to the Queen Esther. In fact, I want you to personalize this verse in your Bibles. I want you to write, for if you, cross out you, and put your own name. For if I, Mark, remain silent at this time. For if I, Rodney, remain silent at this time. For if I, Lance, remain silent at this time. For if I, Cheryl, remain silent at this time. If I remain silent as a soldier, who's going to meet their needs? If I remain silent as an employee, who's going to meet my co-workers' needs? If I remain silent in my neighborhood, who's going to meet their needs? If I remain silent when it comes to the homeless person, who's going to meet their need? If you'll give me a minute, I'll step on your toes somewhere where God's convicted you. I'm trying to get all up in your business today because God's been all up in my business this week. So... Something else that happens here that really is scary. He says, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. In other words, God's going to judge you if you don't involve yourself. Now, I didn't say this. In fact, think back to last week. John chapter 15, verse 6. Do you remember this? We looked at this last week. In fact, they're going to put it on the screen. This is the words of Christ. This is what Christ said. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and begins to wither. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
You know what he's saying? He's saying that if you don't do what you were created do, to do, your life is a waste. Hello? That's deep. That your life is, is a waste. I call this the throwaway principle. Now I want you to hang here with me for a minute because I think some of you have experienced what I'm about to say. Have you ever bought something? You've paid a lot of money for that something. Let's call it a computer. You bought it, say, 10 years ago, and you've tried to do all of the updates, and you've kept it updated, and, and, but now you realize 10 years later that it's just not going to work for your needs anymore. So you go out and you buy another computer, and you take that computer and you throw it away. But as you throw it away, you have this thought, I paid $1,500 for that thing. And now all of a sudden you feel like it was a waste. You ever been there? That's the picture that Mordecai is painting over Esther's life. It's a waste if you don't do it. It's a waste if you don't be who God created you to be. In fact, Kim and I, six years ago, before we became the pastors of this church, for two years, the search committee would come to us during the course of that time and say, we're really interested in you pastoring this church. And we would say, hey, you just keep looking. Just keep looking. You know, we want to go into the ministry. We're just not sure it's today. You know, we, you just keep looking. And, and finally, let me be honest with you. One night in the middle of the night, way into this process, we just woke up and looked at one another and said, you know what? We're tired of these sleepless nights. Knowing that God created us to do something that we are declining to do, our lives will be a waste. I'm telling you that God has created you. He's fashioned you to have a footprint. And that footprint is to change the lives of others around you. Some of you are saying, well, you know what, Pastor Mark? I can't even think about being judged for what I haven't done because all I can think about is being judged for what I have done because what I have done is bad. Can I tell you something? This is what I love about the book of Esther. Mordecai never mentions where Esther has been. He never mentions what she did wrong, and she did a bunch of stuff wrong. We've already talked about it. He never talks about where she has been. He only talks about where she is. So what he's saying to us, it's not important where you've been. It's important where you are. You see, and somewhere along the way, Esther came to the realization of who God was in her life. And he said, you know what? We don't care about who you used to be. We only care about who you are now. And Esther, she came to the realization that her purpose in life was more important than her position in life. Whoo, that's some good stuff. You see, God has placed you in a position so that you will change others. Now, let me just say this again. Let me speak back to those who may be like Esther and maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you've got some pain in your life. I am not at all trying to gloss over your pain. What I am saying, however, is that God is not all wrapped up in your past. He doesn't want you to be all wrapped up in your past. You may have made some mistakes, but that is your past. You need to leave it there. God wants to pick you up from where you are and walk you into the future. God is not concerned about your past. God is the hope of your future. God is not the condemnation of your past. God is the same God of the cross, which means forgiveness. He's the same God of resurrection, which means reshaping your future. Man, that's some good preaching right there. I don't know. I mean, who am I preaching to here today? He wants to reshape your future. So what is Esther going to do when Esther has this aha moment? What will she do? You know what Esther does? She begins to look to the future. Can I say this to you? If you're filling in the blank or taking some notes, I, I want to say that we cannot take casual 
the future that lies ahead. We cannot take it casually. See, I believe that Mordecai's words began to resonate with Esther. Who knows, but that you're in this royal position for such a time as this. Who knows that you're in this royal position for such a time as this. Who knows that you're a soldier for such a time as this. Who knows that you're a business owner for such a time as this see what's really cool to me about God's word is that God uses any and everyone who's willing to change the future Esther's a queen she's not a pastor she's not an evangelist she's not a missionary she's not a Christian artist she's a queen Esther It's a queen, and God is going to use her to change the course of humanity. Listen, let me say this to you. As a pastor, if I could just describe my job in one word or less, I would say that my job is leverage. My job is not to convince you to quit your jobs and to go into the ministry. My job is to teach you how to leverage your position to change your environment. That's my job. In fact, this week as I was, again, thinking about Esther's life, Esther had the palace as her place of influence, as her position. When I began to think about the palace as her place of influence, her position, I began to think, well, you know what? If we remove the A, it becomes place. God has placed you. God has placed you. As a soldier, He's placed you. As a mother, He's placed you. As a father, He's placed you. As a student, He's placed you. As a friend, He's placed you. He's placed your neighbors around you. He's placed you. The question is, are you going to do with your place what Esther did with her palace? Hello? Are you? Because that's what the book of Esther is about. So Esther had one fundamental decision to make. Do I do what Mordecai is asking me to do? And if I do, that means that I could possibly die. Is she willing to give everything? So what is Esther going to do? Look at verses 15 through 17. I want you to see this. Verses 15 through 17 says this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Here's what I'm going to do. Go gather together all of the Jews who are in Susa. And fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, and night or day. And, and, and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Verse 17. So Mordecai went away and he carried out all of Esther's instructions. What is Esther doing? Esther is making plans. Some of you need to make some plans. Some of you need to make some plans in your life as to how you're going to impact those around your life. You need to have a plan. You need to have a plan and you need to work the plan. Plan your life. Plan your work. 
make an impact. Can I say this to you? How will we reach 4.5 billion people who are lost if we don't have a plan? Hello? Can I tell you something else? If we don't have a plan, what can we do about the 20% poverty rate that's in our county? Without a plan, how do we combat the over 2,000 homeless people that are in our city? Without a plan, how do we help the, the 900 kids that are in the foster care program in our county? Without a plan, how do we help the 366 homeless children that live in our city? Without a plan, how do we stop and bring down the, the divorce rate, which is at 51%? How do we do that without a plan? We can't. Some of us, we need to sit down and begin to make a plan as to how we are going to bring change to those around us. That's what Esther did. What is so beautiful about this book, though, is you've got to see this, is that 14 times Esther was called queen in this book. 14 times. 13 of those times came after her confrontation with the king. You know what that means? That means that God really established her position after she was willing to give her life. That's cool. You see, God will establish you after you're willing to give your life. You must first go. The last thing that I want to say to you as Matt comes back today is this. There are people all around you that will never ever discover what God has placed in them Unless you use your position to unlock it for them. You see, the queen, she goes to Esther, or Esther goes to King Xerxes. And she tells about the plot, she tells about the plan. King Xerxes sees that this is something that requires his extreme attention. And because of it, the Jews end up prevailing. And because they end up prevailing, this was really what catapulted them into their movement back to Israel. Their restoration, the word that God had placed in Abraham, Hundreds and hundreds of years before that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. That word that he placed inside of them. It was not unlocked until Esther did what she was called to do. And that is for such a time as this. See, it just breaks my heart to think that there are people around us in the group that... They have a gap in their lives. And we're not filling that gap. We're not helping them unlock what God has placed in them. We're not allowing them to see the goodness of God, the insatiable love of God, the forgiveness of God, the restoration of God, the refuge of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the healing of God. Come on.
can I ask you this question and I want you to hear me out if the people around you begin to follow your footprints today where are you leading them where is it to him way Esther used the palace God today is saying use your place 